Hey everyone, Kevin here from the Drinking Liberally podcast. As you probably know, round three of the Democratic primary debates is taking place next Thursday, September 12th. It's an exciting time to see all the candidates in one place talking about the issues you actually care about. So we want to invite all of our listeners in the local Jersey City, New York City area to join us for a viewing party. If you're interested in joining us, check out our website at www.drinkingliberallypod.com for details. Hope to see you all there. Hello, and welcome back to the Drinking Liberally podcast, the show that combines good alcohol with some friendly political banter. I'm your host, Kevin Wilson, and making his triumphant return to the co-host seat is Jeff Fenner. I'm back, baby. Jeff, it's nice to have you back. Uh, you know, Dennis was sitting in that seat last week, uh, sat in for you. He was talking a lot of trash, to be honest. He's still trying to dethrone me, but uh, he's got yeah. a ways to go. There was something about you being the uh, the Drew Bledsoe to his Tom Brady, I think Ooh, he said. Ooh, <laughs> I know. It's cute. <laughs> he thinks but, highly of himself, which I appreciate. I like confidence. Yeah. yeah. But in all, all seriousness, it's good to have you back. Welcome. Yeah, great to be back. Uh, you know, and apologies to everybody. It's been a little bit, we've been a little disjointed and, you know, some things in our careers have changed for me and Kevin and Ooh. things have been going good though, so. In a positive fashion. Yeah, I feel like we're back. uh, We're getting into the fall. Probably the most important run. So, And welcome back, Yogs, on that note. Uh, He was in London, uh, so he was not producing the last couple weeks, but he's back producing. Dennis was also trying to take that over, so just throwing that out Dennis on the boards doesn't sound as good. (laughs) Not as good. (laughs) He's coming for someone's job. All of that staying in, by the way. Oh, crap. Maybe he's coming for my job. I just never expected it. He doesn't like beer, though. That's a good point. So we can't really. Dude. Yeah. This would have right. to be like uh, liquor liberally. Woo. <laughs> liquor liberally. Safe. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's not going to fly past the sensors, I don't think. Okay. But it is the internet. So we are, we are back. <laughs> anything goes. <laughs> Jeff, you ready for some news and brews? Let's go. This week, I've got a new beer for you. The Allagash River Trip. That's a uh, Belgian-style session ale out of the Allagash Brewing Company, Portland, Maine. It's about uh, 4.8% alcohol by volume. Really fruity aroma to it with a pretty hazy pour, as you see here. Our listeners, you can imagine that. (laughs) It's got a a frothy head to it when you pour that out. Very basic malty taste. and Very carbonated, actually. Very Very carbonated, Uh, which lends to its crisp and refreshingness. It's got also a very clean finish, so there's not much taste that lingers on the tongue after a sip of this, so it's just kind of one and done. How do you feel about it, Jeff? It's a, it's a good, it's kind of, for. I mean, we've been experimenting a lot with different beers, different tastes, it kind of fits right in the middle. It's a, a little basic, um, but it's a good beer. I mean, the, the taste is good. Uh, there's nothing that super stands out about it, but it's a good beer. Like, it's, it's fine to drink. <laughs> as beers are meant to be done. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than Miller Lite, um, worse than Red Stripe. I don't know, somewhere in that middle. Fair enough. <laughs> and the beer snob in me actually appreciates that Allagash is an independent brewery still. They do have really good beers. Yeah. I, I just, this is a good one. It's uh, You're not a Belgian style guy, though, it sounds. I like it. Um, you know, it's actually been funny. We've put the cans on our uh, Instagram a lot. I thought the can was also a little basic. Uh, right. From we've had some really cool stuff recently though, so no knock to Allagash. Uh, we've just had some pretty dope cans and and some pretty dope designs. But no, good beer. I would definitely drink it again. Yeah, I'd have this again. Now you were comparing it to other beers. You mentioned like Red Stripe and a Miller Lite. And I know Miller Lite's actually one of your favorites. Not anymore. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome <laughs> for that. Uh, I happen to notice though in our studio fridge, there's like a surplus of like Coors Light in here. What the hell is that about? I will tell you exactly. That is about one of our other uh, team members. Uh, oh, Lou. it's not yours. I no, thought it was yours. Lou Capetta. Lou Capetta um, put that in there. Loves the Coors Light. He's a Coors Light guy. You have not uh, destroyed his taste buds yet to make him step up his, you know, his uh, tastes. So. I'll put that on my to-do list. Yeah, he's yeah. next. Lou Capetta is uh, one of our other podcast hosts on this network, and we'll link to that. Make sure you check out the Lou Capetta show. All right, so on that note, though, let's get to what's been going on this past week. A lot's been going on. And number one, we can talk about that the hurricane. Hurricane Dorian has been uh, coming in strong and really battered the Bahamas, right? And did you see these pictures? It's devastating. devastating. Like, yeah. 
Uh, there's one of those sliding photos where you can put the slider across and look at a satellite map before and after. And like most of the Bahamas just underwater. Did you see our Coast Guard flying over pointing out what's what's missing? Yeah. It's devastating, man. So sad. And we'll we'll share links in our footnotes on Twitter of ways you can provide support. If you've got any kind of financial means that you can spare some extra cash to help the people out there because again, it's just a catastrophe out there. And now it's been heading over to the Carolinas, which is not great either. Yeah, this one really hits home for me. Um, I lived in Charleston, South Carolina for a couple of years. Um, two of my best friends in the entire world, one's a police officer and one's a firefighter. And, you know, they were evacuating um, a few days ago where it was both highway lanes were only going out. Um, both of them, because of their jobs, are required to stay. And Oy. their families are staying. So we've shared our feelings on thoughts and prayers here um, and other services, but you know, really, really put it there. Charleston, the town, if anybody doesn't know, is, is below sea level as it stands. Um, if you right. get a heavy rain there, uh, it floods. And so they're talking about the biggest flood there since uh, the 90s. And that can wipe out a lot of that, that town. It's so historical. It's so beautiful if you've never been. So just devastating for them. North Carolina, the Outer Banks, all that area, you know, just Keep everybody your thoughts. Hopefully everybody got out when they're supposed to. Definitely. Yeah. So let's just keep that theme of climate weather going. And we'll talk about uh, the climate town hall that was held this past Wednesday on CNN. So if you managed to miss this, which I don't blame me if you did, it kind of came out of nowhere. Ten Democratic candidates for president, pretty much the ten leading ones, spent about 40 minutes each discussing climate change which was a total of seven hours on CNN this past Wednesday. So a little background before we jump into our opinions on this. The uh, Democratic National Committee had actually turned down the opportunity to have a formal debate about climate change among the candidates. But a lot of groups like the uh, Sunrise Movement lobbied to have, you know, networks and candidates hold a separate town hall about it. And credit to them and the Sunrise Movement, it actually happened. CNN agreed to it. And I just want to shout out the Sunrise Movement as being one of our very first fake news of the week stories on this very podcast. Uh, If you recall, it was also climate-related. They had selectively edited their interactions with uh, California Senator Dianne Feinstein to make her look super dismissive of their concerns regarding climate change. So real, real crappy move on their part back then, but I guess they get the last laugh because they convinced the entire Democratic field to have a debate about this for seven hours. Jeff, I know you've got some strong thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, I hate this. I hate everything about it. Um, you hate our environment? <laughs> no. Um, I think this is obviously a worthwhile topic. Um, I hate the way that it was set up. I hate the way that it was promoted. Um, I also just don't, you know, when you're asking people to tune in for seven hours, the ones that are willing to tune in on this and CNN with this panel are ones that are already probably pretty in tune with what's going on. This is not reaching people that are don't believe in climate change, that don't, you know, get on this. We're not we're not putting this in a format, I think, where it's really making a difference. I mean, me and you do a podcast about politics. I saw this. I was like, I mean, I recorded a couple of them. And I just, I hate everything about this. I think there's a time to do this. I think we're coming up on the debate September 12th. There could have been some time allotted for this on that stage for both groups or one group, however it turns out, that would have made a bigger dent than just saying, hey, we're talking about climate because the people that don't care aren't going to care in this. And they may be tuning into that. And what scares me the most is now that this was done, that it's completely shied away from it. Not saying it will be, because we haven't seen them yet. But it worries me that the Democrats, you know, the candidates aren't going to want to spend more time on this because they've all had a 40-minute just sit there and talk about it. Um, There's nothing about this I liked. I can't be any stronger about it. And I know you disagree a little bit, so fantastic. Um, And we'll go into more of the points you have here, but that I don't – you said it rated well, surprises me, um, but I just didn't like this at all. Yeah, so I will respectfully disagree with you on this. I love that they actually took the time to discuss this issue. 
Uh, I've been a little upset about the 30 seconds worth of time each candidate got to discuss it in the previous debates. This is the biggest issue of our generation, I think. This affects not only our lives, but the lives of you know future generations. It's hard to imagine at the rate we're going a world where you know you have a daughter who's what she's gonna be I have cl- two. yeah five and three months old right so what they gonna be class of 2032 i think i saw your wife post on facebook yeah that's it seems like it's so far out there but we're talking about massive climate change by then 100 percent, right so this is such a worthwhile topic i think it deserves the seven hours i can't blame anyone for not tuning in for full seven hours i get it you have lives um and that's one of the biggest things with politics like you know, you got to do what's right for you. And politics just kind of keeps going on in the background. I totally understand that. But I don't think there was any harm in having these 10 candidates up there talking about it. And then we're able to distill that down in the days afterwards of like, here's the highlights and here's the biggest talking points from each candidate that they can take going forward. To me, it says they take this seriously, that it's worth time out of their night, even if the Democratic National Committee doesn't think it is. They'd organize their own debate about it. I And listen, I want to be very clear. I agree with you a thousand percent. This is probably the most important topic, and we can debate that. But I feel like, you know, we, we talk a lot about how, like, who you follow on Twitter or, or what you tune into creates an echo chamber. Sure. And I feel like this is an echo chamber moment where the people that do care about this, like me and you, and probably a lot of people that listen to this, are tuning in and paying attention. I don't think this did anything to reach outside of that and grab um, because we don't live in a time right now where people are paying attention to anything for seven hours. Seven minutes is a long time at, at some of these points. And I almost feel like the amount of information and points we got out of this for seven hours is is too much. And what bothers me the most, and I'll go back to it again, and we'll have to see how it plays out. But if this is that important, let's make that a focal point of the debates when everybody's tuning in, when it's when it's about the election, the fact they carved out so much time for this separately worries me that it's not taken serious enough, that they want to leave time for the other stuff they need to hit. And it, granted, for us to win this election, there are probably more not important or pressing issues, but probably more sway issues that they need to focus on during that. But I, I don't like the way it was set up, and I, I think it's a misstep personally. That's all. Yeah, so I, where I'll clarify or perhaps disagree with you if I wasn't understanding correctly. Um, I believe the candidates take it seriously. I think it's clear the DNC does not think this is a political win. Terrifying. Because they would have made a formal debate about this otherwise. Right. So clearly there are concerns um, with the, the party establishment that talking about climate is an issue for Democratic candidates. Right. That you're handing Republicans a win by even talking about it. Can I ask you a question? Like, what I don't understand is we've put 10 candidates on stage or however many we were doing at a time these last couple, and we were very vocal about how we thought, once you add in commercials, applause from the crowd if you hit, like, a big talking point, um, some of the questions that weren't great, we were only giving two hours for that total on these nights, now we're doing seven hours on this. And again, can't make this clear enough. It's worth 70 hours climate change because this is the future of all of us. Um, I just don't understand the disconnect here on why we're willing to go 40 minutes for each person to talk about this. And then we get into the, some of the other debate things, which are also important, not to diminish climate change. But then we're doing five minutes. You got to wrap it up. Crowd's got to applause. We got to hit a commercial and we're stuffing this into two hours. I just don't understand why there's a disconnect here on how we're doing these platforms. Um, what else does CNN have to do? We can have four hours of these debates. We can get rid of the crowds. There's a lot of stuff that can be changed, obviously. Um, I just, again, great, great job by a lot of people here. A lot of great quotes came out of this. I uh, just don't love it. I've said on this podcast that for those, you know, the formal debates that I wouldn't mind if they went hours and hours. I, I, cause I'm a political junkie, obviously. I understand everyone's not that way. Right. But again, we live in such a world where that's going to be distilled down the next night for everybody the next morning or live on Twitter. 
where you're just getting the highlights. And that's really all you know people need at the end of the day. Do you feel any of this reached out beyond the kind of people that care about this already? Uh, the cynic in me says no. Yeah. So on that, I'd probably agree with you. Okay. That's my, that's my biggest yeah. thing. Like, I don't know that this reached out. Uh, I'm not sure they converted anyone that was in the middle there. Um, I worry that they might have turned people off. Yeah. And hopefully, because, we're, hopefully yeah. we're really wrong on this. I, oh, God, I hope so. Yeah. Um, but I do worry because Republicans are so good at messaging and they have Fox News running you know, straight propaganda at certain points of the night that any th- misstep in a debate like this will be played over and over to say, hey, look how crazy these Democrats are. They think we should get rid of meat or airlines, which neither of those things are true. But these extreme talking points, they're going to run with, and people are just going to read the headline. I think you make a great point there. And the other danger in this, tying exactly what you said, we just gave them seven hours of information to pick and choose six points out of context and absolutely run with them. That will hurt us to scare a lot of people and they might be all completely correct and we should do it but we cannot forget we have an election to win (laughs) yeah because none of this stuff happens we can talk about it for 40 hours if we don't have that position and we don't gain control of the senate and the presidency none of this stuff is happening it's all going to get held up there's no bipartisanship now we know that i want to go through it i want to hear kind of your thoughts on it um, but it was a it was a turnoff to me. Frankly, I would love to see Republicans and Democrats do in a run up to an election, just like a weekly topic based debate. Really dive into your policy. I would love that. And you know, at the end of the week, go read your Sunday paper wherever you're getting that news yeah. from. I guess most people aren't reading papers anymore. You should, but <laughs> read the distilled version of where people stand. I think yesterday led a to a lot of clarity for me on where people in the Democratic field stand on the environment. And that was refreshing. And we know where the Republicans stand. And we also know Trump's not debating this. Right. Trump won't. Trump's sitting out there. and He won't show up. He's trying to make topics out of um, deregulating light bulbs. Yeah, yeah. Or deregulating methane. And to make that the news. And more people are listening to that right now than this debate. Unfortunately, because Fox News, again, is a major player in the media. And Twitter. And that's actually where I really loved Elizabeth Warren's response yesterday. Um, I'm sorry, on Wednesday, where she was asked about plastic straw bans, right? And we've talked a couple episodes ago. We talked about like kind of how ridiculous it is that bars across the country have banned plastic straws like immediately, but we can't do anything bigger than that. It's wild to me. And she rightfully calls out the fact that you know, these straw bans or talk about cutting down meat consumption or deregulating light bulbs. It's all just a distraction from the fact that on the day-to-day basis, you and I are not polluting on the same level that a lot of our major corporations are. And we should start holding the corporations accountable, the people that are producing this stuff. Hold them accountable, and it's a little less for us to worry about later on. Listen, me and you go to bars a lot. And we... We, uh... We probably use a lot of plastic straws, Uh, but I can tell you probably eight other things in my personal life that pollute more and do more to hurt the environment than my plastic straw consumption. And we've also talked about on here, these paper straws suck. They do suck. Yeah. (laughs) That's give me another way to help. That's not, (laughs) that's a bipartisan issue right there. It's anything we can do helps, but this is the literal definition of shifting deck chairs on the Titanic. That's all this is. I mean, we are not saving the environment by plastic bags and plastic straws. We're going to help. And if we have major policy to fix the other things, this is definitely something that's great and going to you know, tie into it. But this can't be our, hey, guys, we're fine. This 20-year thing is done because guess what? Paper straws. Yeah. So on that note, then, let, let's talk about what we can do. And let's we'll go beyond. There's the obvious you know, mass transit stuff. Stop driving as much if you're living in an urban area where mass transit's readily available. Obviously, that's a harder problem in rural areas. Cut down your meat consumption. The Impossible Burger's delicious. Have that. (laughs) Yeah, cutting down meat. I know we jokingly talked about eliminating meat before, but 
cows and pigs, all that meat that we're eating, use tons of resources to keep alive and to process. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it in the, the Amazon rainforest. That deforestation there and the burning down, a majority of that is to have more room to raise cows. Absolutely. Because they export meat. And, you know, so there's some other stuff we can do. Like cheeseburgers are delicious. But uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I'll be honest. I get how ridiculous that sounds to a lot of you. I, frankly, I'm not going to stop eating steak. Right. I love steak. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> and, but I can certainly cut down on the amount of times I do it. Or you can have steak and then have the meatless burger. Like, there's some things we can do here that would make a bigger dent for sure. There are steps, but let's talk about some of the broader topics too, where uh, a lot of these candidates on Wednesday did uh, talk about things like carbon taxes on corporations. So if you're polluting past a certain threshold, you're paying a tax on it because you have to start hitting people where it hurts and it's going to be in their wallet. And if a corporation is going to have to pay excess taxes in the long run, they're going to find ways to avoid doing that. Hopefully legal ways that <laughs> are used to. But it won't be that way. Yeah. And a lot of those things were put in place by the Obama administration and they've been rolled back. They were unfortunately they were yeah. doing a lot for that um, with even the auto industries, with, with just the bigger corporations. And every turn now, this administration is in service of the economy is making it easier, right? Making it easier to produce because they want to make sure that these companies stay in business, jobs stay as high as they are, but to the absolute detriment of our future. Yeah. Uh, during the Obama administration, the House passed the um, cap-and-trade bill that just never became law because of the Senate, just never made it through. But that would have put a cap on the amount a corporation's allowed to pollute, and you're paying these taxes for everything above that level. I think that's actually a really good idea. Fantastic. Yeah, there should be incentives to start making a cleaner production environment. Can't make this any clearer. If this continues through 2020 to 2024, it's only going to get worse because we know we're on the edge of a possible recession and there's going to be a lot of incentive for this administration to give it, make it easier for corporations to keep people employed to make sure job numbers don't dip and we don't fall into that. And the easiest way for them to do that is to roll back any of these, like you said, taxes or sanctions or, you know, levels you can get to for pollution. And they're going to do it. This is one of those situations where you hear people that uh, talk about states' rights versus federal rights, where states' rights might be the thing that saves us because you have states like California imposing pretty stringent rules on they emissions. started the straw brand, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, that's one of them. Um, but things were like miles per gallon gas mileage for cars, which I don't think any of us are going to disagree that getting more miles per gallon is an amazing thing for us. Thank you, please. Yeah. <laughs> we're spe like I'd rather be getting 40 miles to a gallon than 20. Right. It's less I'm spending on gas. And because California has the sway, their economy is huge. I think last time I checked, they're like the sixth largest economy in the world. Right. Right? They're bigger than most countries. Yeah. And they are able to leverage that power to say, these are the standards we want, we think are better for the environment. And if you don't want to adhere to them, you can't do business in our state. And you have a lot of automakers who said, well, California I is the sixth largest economy in the world. If we lose their business, yep. we're losing money. So even if it's in you know, Indiana, you can go there and you can get 15 miles a gallon. I'm just making up numbers. Yeah, yeah. It's just not profitable for them to create separate workflows. No. They're going to create just one car that adheres to California standard. Have to. That's where they're making their money. Yeah. Everyone benefits from it. You look at our population map, they have to. Yeah. So that's... One of the issues where I'm like, states' rights? Okay, I see it. I get it. So we'll wrap up that uh, climate change discussion, but stay tuned. We're going to come back around to it for our fake news of the week. So that's something to look forward to. But in between, we got to talk about this straight pride parade stuff. Did you, did you see this shit? <laughs> oh, my God. What an embarrassment. So this past Labor Day weekend over in Boston, there was a uh, straight pride parade organized where... 
a whopping 200 marchers showed up. And probably three times, I think some some estimates I saw about 600 counter-protesters showed up to Shout it. Shout out to all of them. Yes. Yeah. More power to all of you that are protesting this kind of bullshit. And, you know, I didn't think this needed to be said in 2019. But, frankly, I'm seeing too many people, including people I know and people that I think I respect, uh, say things like, well... You know, gay people get a parade and Puerto Rican people get a parade. Why can't straight people get a parade? So I really want to make this clear to all of you. Why? That's a ridiculous argument to make. Like, why don't straight people get a parade? Because every day in this country might as well be a straight pride day. In everything you do in life. Yeah. And gay people get a day or a weekend or maybe... Maybe a baseball game. Well, yes, sometimes, yeah, at some stadiums, certainly. Um, Maybe you get a whole month, depending on the area you're living in, that's actually recognized. Then you've got these assholes over in Boston who are flipping out about this sliver of recognition and showing up to this parade with shirts that say things like, straight lives matter (laughs) on them. Yeah. You laugh because it's ridiculous. Like These guys, they've got to be kidding me. Because no one, no one is being attacked for being straight. Straight people aren't killed for their sexuality. Straight people aren't denied service from restaurants. They're not denied health services or the right to donate blood. Being straight doesn't get you fired from your fucking job. Like, it's not outlawed in a bunch of countries across the globe. There's not atrocities happening to straight people. It's unbelievable. So spare me the argument that the plight of the straight man is the one that we need to be spending our time concerned about. And let's be really clear here. This is not straight people. This is straight white males. Yeah. I, wa- I watched the footage of that, and this was not a gathering of straight women or straight men and women of different nationalities. Not a lot of women there at all. Zero, other than the protesters. <laughs> there were a couple, but yeah, not, um, not many. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that ties back to all of the other uh, crappy things we're doing to anybody that's in a minority group. It's the fear of those 200 men in Boston and maybe three women, um, white men in Boston, that they are losing ground, that... The, the, the power's slipping away. We're no longer what we had. And that's all this is. It's the same as the immigration debate. It's, it's all the same. It's the fear of loss of, of power and stature. Um, and it's fucking gross. I yeah. mean, how embarrassing. <laughs> For all the talk of liberals being snowflakes, it's just incredible to watch the fragile egos of people that would think marching in a straight pride parade was a good or just idea. Like, let's get one thing clear. Like, gay pride parades aren't there to just celebrate being gay. They're there to celebrate their right to exist. And have equal rights. Yes. And to be out there and say, yes, I am gay. I am proud to be who I am without fear of retribution for being who you are. When those parades happen... The amount of courage it takes for those people, because, I mean, you watch a lot of these white supremacist things. You know, a lot of people have masks on or, you know, the KKK forever. Right. Always the the white mask to go out and know to march one of those parades and maybe be caught on TV or whatever happens to an interview might actually in some states cost you your job or promotion or all these things takes a lot of courage and bravery. These 200 guys, there's no courage or bravery here. It's literally like, look at me. I'm now feel I'm being repressed right. and I need you to see it. And, you know, listen, it's 200 people about as much as show up to some of these Trump rallies. I'm really sad for them. Yeah. I actually I mean, watched that and was like, one, embarrassed to be a white straight male. And number two, just like, that's sad. It, it's so depressing because I'm like, oh, someone should just give them a hug and someone should also get them a, you know, a float designer too. The floats were bad. They were so bad. <laughs> were they pickup trucks? It was just garbage. <laughs> Nothing about it was appeasing to the eye. Uh, it was just the worst kind of parade you could ever ask for to look at. And what's so depressing, like, all right, there's a lot of people that argue that privilege is not a thing in this country, right? 
But this is peak level privilege, ha, is yes. it not? To march down the street, have police protect you as you're celebrating how straight you are. Nobody cares. You're not being attacked or persecuted, but they like to play that victim card because they lost, what, a, a sliver of the spotlight and the national consciousness? That's so ridiculous. And like, if you don't believe me, so the organizers of the rally, it's this group called Super Fun Happy America. <laughs> yes. As you should laugh. That is ridiculous. Great name, guys. Yeah. But like one of those stupid, like must have been born in internet meme type names. That didn't look fun. And no, definitely not. <laughs> and they themselves, according to their own website, advocate on behalf of the straight community because they are an oppressed majority. It's right there out. They're saying they think they How are can you oppressed. Be an oppressed majority. I don't know, man. That's. Wow. Again, I just laid out all the reasons why that is complete and utter bullshit. And at the end of the day, the people that are organizing these parades are dangerous. There's ties you just brought up before about um, ties to just white nationalism here. Thousand percent. The the vice president of the super fun happy America group. <laughs> not even gonna. I name feel like him. you're describing a South Park episode right now. It it, this it, is it like, plays off as parody. This is like Nambla. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like that. But unfortunately, this is real life and happening, and it happened in Boston, which is historically, or at least recently, been in one of our more progressive areas. Um, but it has a history of not being. That's just, be this is very also clear. true. Right. But at the end of the day, though, there's still people that will look at this and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Why can't I have a straight pride parade? Why are people so anti a straight pride parade? And they'll look at, they'll hear podcasts like ours and say, they're so outraged. The liberals are so outraged about it. Let's keep doing it. Stick it to the liberals. And that's, you heard that from some of the people marching. They were interviewed and said, why are you here? And like, well, I just want to stick it to the idealistic left. Yeah. And let's make it clear. Um, I don't want to speak for you. I'm not outraged about this. I think it's funny. Um, I get how dangerous and bad it is in the overall context. This actual one happening is sad and funny because what a ridiculous joke. Um, yeah, I mean, the people walk uh, marching in this are a joke, but again, it does have ties. Like I said, the VP... No, it's, a, it's part of a bigger... ...is a dangerous person there. Like, he's marched with far-right groups like the Proud Boys. That VP of Super Fun Happy America I thought you were talking about filmed. Pence, which uh, yeah. Oh, weird. he wouldn't be out of line being here. Yeah, <laughs> I, could, I could picture that. Allegedly, but, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, let's not get sued. Uh but the VP of Super Fun Happy America attacked a trans woman at the Women's March in Boston this past January. Jesus Christ. Like, these people are showing us who they are. Believe them, baby. And then get upset when we shun them from polite society. And, and all the people that are against protest. I'd like to see a Venn diagram of the people that are against NFL players kneeling um, the protests that go on, the women's march we had in D.C. Because a lot of the things I saw were, look at all the taxpayers' money is wasted because of these police escorts and all the, all the things we have to set up, all the money we're paying for these things. I'd like to see their thoughts on this because I guarantee they're like, we're oppressed. We need this protection. Because right. you know how much taxpayer money was probably wasted in Boston for 200 people marching? You said it. Like they set up barricades. Yeah. There were police escorts. There were tons of police escorts on bicycles and motorcycles and just. And let's be fair. Yeah. Everybody gets their right to protest, right? You have a right to do this. You're mm -hmm. an idiot, but you have a right to do it. Right. But the counter protesters have just as much of a right to yeah. be there. And we don't want to hear anything about future protests and taxpayers' money going toward yeah. it. That's all. Just call a spade a spade. Let's all be on Eva playing field. Did you uh, see the uh, extreme shade that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez threw on Twitter? Yes, it's uh, <laughs> basically go get laid. It was yeah. <laughs> it boils down to that. My God, uh, I kind of love this, so I'm going to read this out for our listeners. So, uh, AOC, the Congresswoman from Queens, New York, tweeted about this straight pride parade, saying, "Quote: For men who are allegedly so proud of being straight, they seem to show real incompetence at attracting women to their event." Seems more like a I struggle with masculinity parade to me. Good for her. Hope they grow enough over the next year to support slash join LGBTQ fam next. Hashtag pride. <laughs> End quote. 
that's I'd like to high five her. The definition of shade. Nice job. Right there. Nice job. And couldn't agree more. She did it well. The only problem with it is that now that quote got picked up by right wing media's look Good. at her look at her attacking. She hates straight people. No. You took the wrong message from that entirely. Is she not? She's attacking these particular straight. No, people. I know her. I don't know about her personal life, but it's weird. Right. Oh, oh you're asking if she, I don't know. <laughs> it <laughs> not, doesn't matter. Not my Guess business. It doesn't matter. Not my business. Um, so it's all terrible stuff. If you're thinking about participating in a, a straight pride parade, or you're still wondering why one would be necessary or why it shouldn't be allowed, reach out to me. Hit me up on Twitter, email us, and I'd be happy to have a discussion with you of why it's wholly inappropriate. Do you remember, God, I probably was in high school. Remember when there was this big kind of push because why can we have a BET and not a WET? You know, I actually thought about putting this on the outline, um, but yeah, it's the exact same (laughs) Do you remember that? Same argument, yep. It was a huge thing, like why do we get a black entertainment television? We could never have a white entertainment television. Yeah, because white entertainment television Every other channel on the yeah. TV. Yeah, guys. If you ever watch <laughs> Friends, why. that show was stationed in New York City, and there were like 0.005% black people on that. We had white entertainment television. Yeah. it's <laughs> Not to attack Friends, because there was a lot, but there was a lot of others that were, you know, supposedly staged in very, very diverse areas that never reflected that diversity. Sure. Right? So we had, we had wet, <laughs> for yeah. all you out there. Wet was going on for a long time. Ew. <laughs> but yeah, I you saying, remember that though, right? I that do was, remember that. That was a huge yep. thing for a minute. And I, I, when I saw this, I thought of the exact same, you know, it's the same argument. Like, you're just not getting the point of this. You're not understanding why an a actual oppressed minority would want to celebrate their existence because they feel like they're not seen by society. And more news keeps coming about this. Um, Forgive me for not knowing his name because I don't care, but one of the biggest leaders of the gay conversion therapy. I love this story. Just yeah. came out as being gay. Surprise! <laughs> Complete shocker. Yeah. You would never think. Um, you know, just I've said this before on here, and I can't say it enough. When you look at issues like the rights of people, just be on the right side of history because it's not going to look fondly back upon you. It didn't during segregation or busing or voting rights. It just never, now that we look at women have the right to vote, the fact they didn't at some point just seems so wild. Um, We have leaders like AOC, these people in huge positions. And just know if you're on the side of this stuff, you're just, you're, you're not going to be looked on favorably in history. You're not on the right side of it. I agree. So to close that out, we'll have a little call to action. If you want to actually contribute to the bail funds for any of those counter-protesters, about uh, three dozen were arrested by police, you can actually donate to the Solidarity Against Hate Legal Defense Fund. Look that up on Google, or we'll link to it in our footnotes and on Twitter later on. So on that note, Jeff, let's have a little sip. Cheers to not being in the straight pied parade. Can you just one more time for me to read the name of that group? You really, you really want to hear it Just again? Just one more time. It's the Super Fun Happy America group. So, Faha? Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they couldn't even get a good acronym. <laughs> so, Faha. <laughs> you guys suck. So, that will bring us to our fake news of the week. And I just couldn't let this one go. I know this is going to be inconsequential, and I'm going to apologize in advance. But we're going to bring this right back to climate change, ladies and gentlemen, and talk about Donald Trump and Hurricane Dorian. <laughs> So I'm not sure if you all saw this, but this past Wednesday, uh, Trump held this press conference talking about the hurricane. And behind him, he pulls out this map of the storm's path. Now, that sounds all well and good. He's a president. He should be leading at a time of emergency, especially a natural disaster like this one, a very huge one. But the issue is that picture he pulled out showed... Not only an outdated forecast that was already six days old by the time he showed it to the press, but someone had gone ahead and drawn in Sharpie a little circle extending the path of this theoretical 
someone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we know who. <laughs> Extended the path of this hurricane so that it hits Alabama. Now, people took notice of this pretty much immediately, saying, well, that doesn't match anything we're seeing on the Weather Channel, right? This, this hurricane's heading up the East Coast. It's not hitting Alabama. And even the National Weather Service had to call fake news on Trump, saying pretty much immediately, like, Alabama's not in danger from this hurricane at all. They might have some higher sustained winds, but this hurricane by itself is not hitting. And why I bring this up is because Donald Trump just a few days earlier had tweeted about how the people of Alabama should batten down and like this hurricane was going to hit them. So dangerous. Right? And that is what you expect a president to do if a hurricane's going to happen. Except even then, that was outdated information. He was just flat out wrong. Nothing projected that it was going to hit Alabama. It was on the wrong side of Florida. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. If we need to give a geography lesson. <laughs> We're talking about Alabama, which is to the west. Wrong side of Florida. Yeah. And this is going up the east coast of the United States. So it's going up Florida, Georgia, now to the Carolinas, where it is as we're recording this. Um, Can I ask you a question before you go on that? Yeah. What bothered me most about that is there are – so say it was going to get to Alabama somehow. Yep. Give the benefit of the doubt. Why go there first over the fact they would have to pass over (laughs) – Either Florida part first. of Florida, uh, at Georgia, at some point it would have to touch those places to get to Alabama. Because, again, it was on the wrong side of Florida. It would have to. It would have to at least go over Florida to get The Florida. physics of it doesn't make any sense. So why wouldn't you say, hey, Alabama batting down at the same time that Georgia and Carolina is because it's going to have to go over yeah. them to get there? Yeah, it's just so ridiculous that this is even a talking point. And, you know, we're guilty because we're bringing it up on this podcast. But... This was rightfully pointed out by the media saying, you know, somebody added this little Sharpie thing that's on an outdated map to begin with. And the implication is that Donald Trump or someone close to him added that just so he wouldn't be proven wrong from his earlier tweet about Alabama. So it's so ridiculous. I I don't bring it up because it's objectively funny how fragile this man's ego is. It's very much narcissism. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, this topic barely registers on that what awful thing has Trump done this week scale. But topics like this where he just doubles down when he's wrong never cease to amaze me. Because he simply can't admit when he's wrong, even when presented with factual evidence. The National Weather Service had to come out and be like, hey, no, you're wrong. That's not how this storm's tracking. There was, way back when, a track that might have brought it there, but that is way outdated at this point and also you're the president of the united states you should have the most up-to-date information at all times that you would require just, you reading these reports you could call point. anybody but this is one with a picture this should be right up his alley <laughs> it's and, it's wild to me and you the not funny p- thing is there are a lot of trump supporters in alabama we know this because of voting this is not we're not just saying this to say it and there are probably people that maybe evacuated or made plans and spent money. Like, this is not a small deal. Like, you know, we've talked about this since the beginning of the podcast, that a lot of times he says stuff and everybody shrugs it off as, oh, he's just joking or whatever. But, like, the things he says, he's the leader of the free world. He has the things he says matter. Yeah. Like, as much as we don't want them to, they really do in real time. I, I know you and I will question just about every word out of his mouth, but his supporters won't. My grandma or they doesn't. might not. And <laughs> if he tells them, hurricane's coming your way, get out of here, some of them might listen. You're right. Before we get off this, can we also talk about the fact that Trump said these things? I'm not sure I've ever even heard of a Category 5. Trump said this about this. He, wait, wait, wait. He said that? Yes. He said he's never heard of a Category he 5. He said, I knew it existed, and I've seen some Category 4s. You don't even see them that much, but a Category 5 is something that, uh... I don't know that I've ever even heard the term other than I know it's there. It's the ultimate. Wait, so has he never heard the term or he knows it? Well, hold on. Let's go back to Trump on September 14, 2017. When we probably had a Category 5. It actually hit the keys with a, it was a Category 5. Oh, I God. never even knew a Category 5 existed. Wait, it gets worse. <laughs> September 26, 2017. It actually touched down as a Category 5. People have never seen anything like that. Wait, October 19, 2017. 
but then it got hit dead center. If you look closely at maps by a Category 5, no one has ever heard of a Category 5 hitting land. May 8th, 2019, this year, never heard of a Category 5 before. Category 5 is big stuff. That's incredible. So I, I love that that was all laid out. I did not see all of them guys back to back to back. We're like talking that. from September 14th, 2017 to now September 2019. This is two years. He said these exact words five times in two years while five Category 5 hurricanes hit the States. And he was present for them. All of them. That's so wild, but not out of the realm of believability with this guy. It just, he can lie about anything. That's incredible to me. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> it's like, there's just something fundamentally broken in this man's brain. Now, he can't admit when he's wrong. And I guess I'm trying to think about why he does this. I think when he says no one's ever seen a Category 5 or I've never heard of it, he's trying to drum it up because it's better TV, right? That, the ha that's the only explanation. I mean, he's People will talk about it more. He speaks in superlatives on everything, yeah. right? I'm the best at this. Yeah. I know terrorism more than any other president. Like everything has to be the biggest and best. Yeah. And so the hurricane might be the has to be the worst we've ever seen. It's almost that he everything's a superlative. Nothing can be just like this is what's happening. Here's the here's the facts. You know, we're here for you, National Guard's assembling, we got you. It can never be that. It's got to be so grandiose on every level. And this is everything he talks about. Yeah. You know that. It's everything. So not yeah. surprising, but the people that follow this and don't see that are just wild. This is the man that holds our nuclear codes, ladies and gentlemen. And let's just hope he doesn't try to nuke one of these hurricanes. He wanted to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so crazy that that should have been the fake news, but that got washed over. Yep. He yeah. actually really thought about nuking, nuking a hurricane, which he, if and if you're not familiar with that story, listeners, um, we'll just run through it quick. He had brought up on a couple of occasions, you know, why can't we just bomb hurricanes? Not necessarily sure he mentioned nuke them, but he wanted to bomb them. That's obviously just a ridiculous idea. Uh, most hurricanes produce more energy than a nuclear bomb does within a few minutes. So... <laughs> How that would disrupt a hurricane, I have no idea. All it would do is spread radiation around at 150 plus miles per hour, which is not good for our environment, so ladies and gentlemen. It's basically the worst idea of all time. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, and it's not funny, but you see where some of this plays to, though. We had the guy from Florida, and if you're listening to this from Florida, shout out to you guys. It's not all of you. But that was saying he had his ideas for stopping the hurricane. And one of them was our National Guard should take a bunch of ice out there and drop it in the water to cool the temperature so it slows it down. And his second idea was we should take a bunch of planes, um, fighter jets out there, have them fly counterclockwise to the way the <laughs> hurricane is spinning to slow the winds down. Oh, my God. You didn't see that? I did not see that. We'll, we'll put but a you, link into this. But you know the, You should the, watch this for pure entertainment value. Sure. Like, the ice one, I can see... The wheels turning and why much ice we would need a cool uh, ocean. Yes, I realize that, <laughs> but I see why he thought in his mind that would be something that made sense. You didn't like the counterclockwise airplane? No, that's so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> it was just slow wind speed. So, yeah, to make it a category one instead of a five. Oh God, that's crazy. Shout out to everybody dealing with this though. Um, like I said, I got friends, uh, family members, basically down there, and it's not funny. And what's hitting Charleston right now is not. Not joking matter. Yeah, I know a couple Maybe. people that have had to evacuate themselves from um, that area. So, so I hope, hope everybody comes safe. out of this good. We dealt with this in New York City a couple times, and uh, it's terrifying. And it, it doesn't have to be a five when it hits you. It can be a tropical storm. It can screw everything up. So, so that brings us to the close of our episode. We're going to focus on the rapid fire things to keep an eye on. Just a few topics today. Number one, I just want to bring everyone's attention back to the fact that fires are still... Still raging in the Amazon. Over 6.2 million acres have burned over the month of August, and those fires are still going on. Enjoy your burger tonight. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> so let's not forget that that's ongoing, even if the news media has. The next topic is actually from across the pond. We're not going to dive too deep into this since we tend to just cover domestic politics here. But We got enough here. <laughs> yeah, we got enough problems going on. But uh, the UK's parliament actually voted down another Brexit no deal. So their new prime minister over there, Boris Johnson, is kind of in a little bit of a pickle. Uh, and if you're not familiar with all that is, I mean, essentially, if 
the UK leaves the European Union at the deadline this Halloween, October 31st, without a deal, there's going to be some pretty catastrophic economic effects that can ripple across the global economy. So that's why we're including it here. It's just something to keep an eye on as that story unfolds. And then finally, in the realm of gun violence and gun control, Walmart has asked its customers not to open carry in their stores anymore. Concealed carry is still okay. Open carry no longer uh, approved. And Walmart will take it a step further and no longer sell handgun ammunition. Weeks later, you don't even get a golf clap. Not impressed. I mean, I'll take a baby step in the right direction over no step, so. No. (laughs) I'm not in. (laughs) I will give credit to their CEO for writing, though, that he wholeheartedly believes that Congress should take up universal background checks. And so, you know, if Congress isn't going to do the job, sadly, we got to rely on Walmart. our major corporations. And Walmart, and Walmart has a lot to lose. A lot of, they're in a ton of rural areas where they make a lot of their money. I mean, but they have, a, they have kind of a way to see this forward, right? Because like Dick's Sporting Goods stopped they did. Yep. selling guns. Um, they're not out of business. I haven't seen massive dick sporting goods closures, so nope. I don't want to give them super credit. They're stepping out on some limb that might end their corporation because we've already seen this play out. So they already had kind of a roadmap to follow with this. Um, disappointed in them that it took this long. I'm sure if I ran a major corporation, things don't, we have shareholders, they probably can't happen in a day. But at the same time, you get a golf clap. That's for you. That's it. That's all you get. <laughs> no standing ovation, no drum roll. So that brings us to the close of our episode. Jeff, it's been good to have you back. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. So this has been another episode of the Drinking Liberally podcast on the Pod Media Network. If you are interested in following us on social media, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at drinking underscore lib pod. And you can check out our footnotes on our website, www.drinkingliberallypod.com. And of course, rate and review us wherever you're listening to this pod. It goes a long way to helping us get in front of some new listeners. So we truly appreciate everyone that's done so already. Until next time, cheers.